The recent international break brought joy to some and crushing sorrow to others. For every Cameroon, there was an Egypt. For every Poland, there was an Italy. Some have booked their tickets to Qatar. Some will look on with anguish, reflecting on what might have been. I'm Kevin Hatchard and this is Football Only Better. Well, I have a world-class team with me today as we look ahead uh, to the big dance later this year. Mark O'Hare has been crunching the numbers in the Bet Cave, so you don't have to. Mark, it's important to note that at time of recording, we haven't seen the draw for the finals. But there is st- still some interest in looking at the outrights, isn't there? Because whatever the draw brings us, in terms of winning the tournament, you generally may be looking at the same group of teams, aren't you? Yeah, I think so. And the draw will sort of make a, a few adjustments to, to prices and stuff. But I think realistically, if you're looking at a team to, to go the distance here, the draw shouldn't really be a a huge bearing, really. If you think a, a certain team can have got the quality to, to really sort of go and win this World Cup, then, you know, a, a, a tough draw, you know, shouldn't really put you off too much. But I think first things first, when I looked at the outright market uh, earlier in the week, I thought Brazil, top of the top of the charts there, I think they're false favourites. Um, yes, I still feel. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I still feel Europe holds the power um, in the world game. Five of the last six World Cups have been won by Europe. Uh, normally, you sort of look to where the, the tournament's being hosted to see if there's an advantage or a disadvantage to Europe or South America. Climatic conditions as well. Um, hard to really tell this year, this year, year because uh, of where it is. So I don't think there's a positive or negative there. But Brazil, absolutely no doubt, they're they're a force to be reckoned with. They are contenders, but. I'm not sure what they do, what they've done to deserve that short price, and you know, almost double the price, if not bigger. You've got Argentina, their sort of continental neighbours, going through an unbeaten 30-game spell at the minute. Uh, the Argentine FA starting to make really sensible decisions behind the scenes, which is the first time in forever. You've got Messi's last World Cup. You've got a solid goalkeeper, which they haven't had for a long time. You've actually got some defenders who can defend as well, which helps uh, for Argentina. They haven't had that in previous competitions but I still you know there's still a nervousness for me about backing Argentina so uh, immediately the obvious one to stand out to me on those prices at the top of the market I think France still deserve to be favourites I still think they are the strongest suit um, you know they went into the Euros with, with plenty of us kind of getting on board them but uh, Deschamps decided to sort of rip up the master plan parachute Benzema into the squad and suddenly started playing Rabiot as a left wing back in matches it was Really oh, quite bizarre, I really quite French, wasn't it? Think about it. <laughs> it, was, it was so bizarre and uh, they sort of blew their own chances up really. And, uh, but they have got a course and distance for them, obviously, and they probably still do have the strongest squad. Um, England got a gluttony of options. Um, the worry for me is always Southgate's pragmatism in big matches, but semi-final and final in the last two tournaments, I think that will certainly help from a mentality aspect. And I think the squad is young, the squad is young. Uh, young players who've won a lot in, in junior teams as well, so they'll be confident. Challengers, of course, but Spain as well. I think you've got players like Pedri, Gavi, Anzu Fati. They were fantastic at the Euros, very unfortunate to get knocked out. You've got one of the better coaches there in Luis Enrique as well. Um, Ferran Torres, you know, back playing regularly now in, in Barcelona. So they should be stronger for the World Cup. And then there's Germany, who arguably have the best coach in the competition now, uh, which they didn't have uh, to uh, last year. Hansi Flick, who... 
uh, obviously has won the Champions League. You look at the last two major tournament winners, Mancini and Deschamps, you'd have to say that they were definitely in the sort of the top two, top three coaches in that competition. And I think there's a lovely mix now between youth and experience at Germany. Yeah. Still a few doubts over that centre forward position, but trending in the right direction. And I think there's always plenty of ammunition and goals from midfield anyway. So if uh, there's a bit more sort of sensible solutions there in defence going forward, which uh, there seems to be under Flick, then I think they can be considered challengers again. So and then there's always a load of outsiders as well to consider. But uh, at the moment, I'd have to say France from those prices, just because I think they should be favourites. Betting expert and odds compiler Mark Stinchcombe's with us once again. Stinch, I couldn't agree more with Mark. I'm not going to pretend that I'm Tim Vickery and I know that Brazil team inside out. But I do wonder sometimes whether people think World Cup, then think Brazil. And there is such a strong historic connection between those two that people get a bit starry-eyed and think, yeah, of course Brazil are going to be up there. But that doesn't always tally with the reality. And it definitely hasn't in recent tournaments, I don't think. No, I mean, you look back to, I think you're right, the way the market uh, thinks is just, okay, Brazil, yeah, fantastic. They always do well at World Cups. They've got a fantastic record. Let's make them favourites. I think that's pretty much how, how, how it works. Um, think back to the last time they won it was in uh, Japan in Korea in 2002 when they had Ronaldo, Rivaldo and Ronaldinho, who are arguably three of the best five in the world at that time. Um, and they were just magnificent. Um, I think Ronaldo might have, he might have scored eight goals at that World Cup. Um, I'm not sure if that was a if that was a record, but recently that's obviously quite high compared to the. I think the average probably around about five. Um, and you obviously got the two goals against Khan in the final. Yeah. Um, so yeah, lit and playable. Um, I mean, remember four years earlier where he missed the final. Oh no, he started the final, didn't he, against France? But there's the whole thing about seizures the night before or something. So yeah, I think just that Brazil that Brazil team was the best team basically, and they great won, you kit know. as well. They had a really good <laughs> kit that year. That helps. Um, but I I. It's worth mentioning that they, they broke the points record in qualifying Brazil. So I think that, that's definitely worth noting. But I think you only have to look and see that Colombia and Chile missed out and Uruguay had to sack Tiberias after 15 years to get through. I think that says more about the quality that they're up against rather than the fact that they were amazing. And then you look at, I just think, um, mentally as well, like the likes of Neymar and Marquinhos, you have to look at PSG the other week against against Real Madrid to see that they're mentally fragile, and I think that I think that comes back to the fact that Europe have won five of the last six. Um, you look at Argentina that, that Mark mentioned there. Um, when going gets tough, they literally all they're going to do is try and pass to Messi, and he's not he's not he obviously he's still a fantastic player, but you only have to look at his sort of goal return this season for PSG to see that maybe not quite the same level in in a system that's not built with players on the same wavelength around him that he regularly plays with as as was happening at Barcelona. So yeah, I think I I'm not saying you can discount them, but I, I don't think you want to bat them at the prices. I mean you look at the top nine at the of the market, Brazil, France, Spain, England, Germany, Argentina, Belgium, Portugal and Netherlands biggest price there is 17 so it's it's a real it's a real minefield i think the draw the draw is important and you only have to look at england's progress through the last two major tournaments to see that it's important um and I, but i don't think it's it's factored in enough so when france for example were drawn with germany and portugal in in the euros their price didn't really move much it was around about 5.5 and it only moved out to about six but 
the problem is compared to a Champions League, if you just have one blip, it does really make things difficult. I know in the Euros, three teams can qualify from the groups, but France did draw against Hungary. So the pressure really was then on in, in, in the other games. And you only have to look at France in the 2010 World Cup where they blew up um, and were knocked out in a group containing uh, Mexico, South Africa and Uruguay, I think it was. And they didn't win a single game. Um, so you only, you only have to look there to see to see what can happen if you just have one blip, unlike the Champions League where you've got six games so you can aff- you can afford sort of two bad games really still got four to, to make up with it so the draw uh, draw in my mind does make a difference i looked at the pots and there's nothing really untoward you know sometimes you get something random like a terrible team in pot four is in pot one i think the only one you can look at there is maybe qatar they're yeah. in pot one as the host. So that's maybe, the one everybody wants, isn't yes, it? Yes, exactly, exactly. So that's definitely something to look out for. I mean, even if you if, if you say, I don't know, if you fancied England at 8.8 and, and they draw Qatar, even if they go to 8.5, I think that still represents value. I still think they should be, you know, it would be a, a bit shorter than that. So I do think there's value from from that side of from that side of things. I mean, the team in my mind, I don't really want to side with anybody at, at this point in time. I mean, even if you look at Portugal, we know they've got a very good manager in Santos, and they've got uh, the ability to to grind out those those games. I mean, they only won one match in 90 minutes at Euro 2016 and won the tournament, but they're only odds of 16. So I think that's uh, that's a little slim in the pickings. I just think in, in in conditions that I'm not 100% sure how, how are going to play out, but, I, you know, it's not typical Europe. Um, I think maybe Spain um, are, are worth looking at 8.8, just given the fact you look at how they played at the Euros. Arguably, I think they deserve to be in the final. I think they created better chances than Italy in that semi-final and only were knocked out on a penalty shootout. They dominate possession in that match. I think it had 64%. You look at the Nations League final against France. Again, they had like 64%. So if you're dominating the ball, very, very difficult for the opposition to score. My only reservation there is it's not... They haven't got the likes of David Villa, Fernando Torres to rely on to come up with the goals. I'm not sure you can rely too much on the likes of Morata uh, or Lassabal, um, for, for example. Um, maybe Ferran Torres. Again, I'm not fully sold on him either but just the fact that they're obviously very good at keeping the football would would maybe be the one that i would, would want to try and uh, get on side in in perhaps testing conditions just one more mark before we move on i was at the england ivory coast game on tuesday and it just occurred to me the depth that england have in in so many areas obviously there are certain players that you can't really afford to lose kane being one of them really but it is really going to come down to just those those little margins for England, isn't it? How bold will Southgate be with substitutions? If he's too bold, then does he lose some of that defensive solidity that he's built up? But in terms of squad depth, England's right up there, aren't they? 100%, yeah. Um, You know, I think uh, there's been a sort of sneering attitude towards England from England fans over the past sort of decade or so, you know, we're always too short in major tournaments and, you know, we're not good enough to win these competitions. But I think despite the draw being quite kind in the last two competitions, they still have managed to reach the final four twice. And they do now have a squad which stands up to, to most in, on the European game as well as the world game as well. So I think it's uh, I think certainly the last summer was uh, 
a momentous moment, not just because England reached a major tournament final, but it almost kind of made the supporters believe now that England can actually compete at the top level of the world game. And I think certainly England have been the most consistent in terms of picking up results against teams that they're expected to win, which is always a uh, a bonus, really. We've seen how other clubs, other clubs, other countries have have suffered in that in that regard in terms of the the level of expectation. Well, in England, particularly under Southgate, just seem to sort of reel off these results as as routine. Really, it just comes down to, as you say, whether they're brave enough to sort of take the game to to, to better opponents. And I'm still yet to be convinced in that regard. But you know, I certainly wouldn't rule England out because of it just yet. Um, and yeah, look at those players. You know, they're just improving, uh, developing uh, month by month, really. And there's a lot to like about England. And I think it's it's time that you know the market. We've seen in previous competitions where England have gone off favourites or second favs when you know there's not been a huge amount of justification for it. This time around, you know, you can't really argue with what the market is saying. They certainly deserve to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, and they have been a qualify, qualifying machine uh, in recent tournaments. Now, we know it's frustrating when you get frozen out of a bet. So Betfair is now offering no cash-out suspensions on match odds over, under, and goal markets on the sportsbook, even during VAR reviews or when there's a penalty. To the Premier League then, and Everton's battle for survival continues as they visit West Ham. And Mark, we alluded to it on the Saturday show, the Toffees are pretty dreadful on the road. They are, yeah. Um, this is a, a difficult game for them. Um, I think from a West Ham perspective, there's probably an acceptance now that the Champions League in terms of qualification via the league is beyond them. There's a six-point gap between them and the top four. They've played more games than both Arsenal and Spurs, but beating Sevilla in the Europa League suddenly opens up their opportunity through Europe and, and gaining a Champions League ticket that way. So um, there's always a concern from a West Ham perspective that they might focus their efforts on, on the game against Lyon later that week. But um at the moment, I believe there's a, an element of um, which is in our favour, which is the international break. And I think Moyes will be quite keen to field his best 11 to get them back into the rhythm of things ahead of next midweek. And then he can rest and rotate afterwards between the two legs. And, and that spells trouble really for Everton. I think West Ham will see this as a winnable match. We'll see there's plenty to be motivated by, particularly going into that Lyon match. Early team news suggests that Jared Bowen is back fit and available. Mikel Antonio didn't travel with Jamaica, so key players and key areas are fit and available. They've not always been the most reliable team at the London Stadium when they're expected to win, but more recently, you know, performances and results against Wolves, Villa, Sevilla are encouraging. And yeah, Everton are, are dreadful, aren't they? Um, home and away, I'd say, because they burgled that win against Newcastle in the Premier League, absolutely beaten up by Palace in the FA Cup. That was a, a really pitiful surrender, I thought. And Allen is still suspended. No Mina, who I think is a, a big blow in that defence. Um, a big physical presence too. They scored just one Premier League goal in the last five. They've lost nine of 13 away from Goodison. They've considered twice or more in nine of 13 away from Goodison. Uh, but their home and away form since the start of September reads three wins, two draws and 15 Premier League defeats, which is wow. absolutely That's horrendous, isn't it? It's, it's atrocious. And they've taken two points from a possible 30 away in that time as well. So... Um, if you look at the, their results and their performance data under Frank Lampard, they've regressed in both boxes. Uh, they're conceding too many goals too often. They're not carving out opportunities. And I think West Ham will have some joy in this match. So originally I looked at West Ham to score over one and a half goals, but um, as well as West Ham to win. But I just thought combine the two, you're getting West Ham around four to five to win this match. Uh, West Ham to score over one and a half goals is around 1.9. 
Well, if West Ham had to score over one and a half goals, they're probably going to win the game. So combine the two, you're getting 2.1 here and you're basically just ruling out the 1-0 the home win. Uh, I think that's a very fair price for a, for a West Ham team that should, in theory, be motivated, knowing in mind what's in lying ahead. So, yeah, not too much positive news to say to, to Everton at the moment. More Premier League to come, but there's an enormous game in Italy on Sunday between Juventus and Inter, the Derby d'Italia. Uh, Stinch, this has massive ramifications when it comes to the title race because Inter have been on the slide and Juventus have just been sneaking up on the outside rail. They've been very consistent. And then you've got Napoli and Milan who are, you know, at the forefront at the moment, but it might not stay that way. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a big weekend because uh, Atalanta are hosting Napoli. So it seems like the winners this weekend are perhaps going to be uh, Milan because they are playing Bologna on Monday night. Um, but having known the results, you know, maybe pressure or if they've got any injuries coming back from the international break, maybe that might play as part. So yeah, long way to go. Um, but yeah, I think it is worth posing the question. Are Juventus back in the title race? Undefeated in the last 16 matches in Serie A and now seven points behind Milan in fourth. I think if they are back, they're going to have to be winning some of these big games and they're actually chalked up as outsiders in this match into a six to four favourites uh, away from home, which I was kind of surprised at because of how they've stumbled of late, as you mentioned. They do look short of confidence, don't they? They obviously had that defeat to Liverpool in the Champions League, and I thought that, in a weird way, might have helped them, because it might have helped them focus a bit, but they just don't seem to be clicking in the way that they were two or three months ago. Yeah, but I think we discussed uh, a while ago, probably when we previewed the Inter-Liverpool game, that their record actually, or their, the reason for that they were top of the league is because of how they performed against all the, the lesser sides. Their, their record against top teams isn't isn't very good at all. And then the problem is, is when you don't beat the lesser teams when they come up, then it... It, for, it sort of worsens the problems further because you're not picking points up against anybody. And, you know, when when they are in a title race with other teams, can't control what the other teams are doing in terms of when they're picking points up. So, yeah, it's just two wins in nine in all competitions now. And they've actually, I think more worryingly, they failed to score more than a goal in eight of those, which which is very, very surprising. Other than the 5-0 win against Salernitana, haven't managed to score more than one goal in a game for, for 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 you know a big a big while now. So yeah, I'm looking the bet I'm looking at here is um, under two and a half goals, which is four to five. Juventus sixteen of their last nineteen games have seen under two and a half goals, and when they played against the, the better teams. It is generally low scoring, uh, 1-1 v Atalanta, 0-0 v Milan, 1-1 v Napoli, 1-0 v Atalanta, 2-0 Lazio, 1-1 Inter, 1-0 Roma and 1-0 Milan. And that's just in Serie A. You look at Champions League, I know they, they were uh, beaten 3-0 v Villarreal, but three late goals. Um, and obviously the dynamic change once Villarreal took the lead. Um, but the, obviously the first leg was uh, was KG with, with the 1-1. Um, the game at home to Chelsea was 1-0. And when they played Inter in the Super Cup, that, that was 1-1. Um, and then when you look at Inter against uh, the better teams, I said the record isn't good um, and they're not scoring goals. And that's reflected in those matches as well. Um, in the Milan derbies, 
0-0 and 1-1 and then when they played Napoli it was 1-1 and they've drawn 0-0 with Atalanta look at them in the Champions League against against decent sides 2-0 and 1-0 defeats against Madrid 2-0 defeat v Liverpool obviously got the 1-0 win at Anfield um, and 2-0 against Roma in the Coppa Italia so again all under 2.5 goals so under 2.5 is chalked up as almost a 50-50 shot and I think it's going to be very tight and cagey in, uh, on Sunday evening now, Tottenham are pushing hard for the top four. They face a Newcastle side that's probably only a couple of results from safety. They might have done enough already when you bear in mind how the bottom three have struggled. Mark, Spurs are the heavy favourites here, but Newcastle have undoubtedly improved under Eddie Howe. Of course, it helps if you splash the cash a bit. <laughs> yeah, they have improved. Um, they're on course to be the first team to survive relegation after not winning any of the first 14 Premier League matches. And I think the way in which um, Eddie Howe potentially and his coaching staff have almost reinvented themselves from being, you know, quite um, sort of gung ho attack-minded coaches at Bournemouth to this kind of steady, um, solid defensive unit uh, at Newcastle in the middle of a relegation crisis deserves you know, immense credit, really. But um, during their sort of nine-game unbeaten spell, uh, which was ended by those two late one-nil defeats to uh, who was it? It was Chelsea and um, forget who they lost the other game to, but. Um, yeah, they they um they lost they to actually, Everton, didn't they? That was it. Yes, yeah, and they actually played pretty well as well. Um, yeah, during the, that nine-game unbeaten spell, they only actually won the expected goals battle three times. And one sort of trend I was noticing quite often, certainly at the start, they were scoring goals from you know, set pieces, like direct free kicks. Uh, Trippier scored a couple of himself, but uh, you know that's not massively sustainable. And now we've got a nine-point buffer. Uh, ahead of the bottom three. Um, it looks like they're going to be okay. They've been out to Dubai for some warm weather training. Um, they've had 17 days to prepare for this match, so they should be ready and prepared and competitive. But um, I still feel there is a, a degree, a, a reasonable degree of a quality gap between themselves and the bottom half of the Premier League and towards the top end. Um, and they have certainly toiled when they've taken on the best teams in the league this season. They've only picked up five of their 31 points against the top half. 11 defeats, two draws and one win. Away from home, they've taken one point against the top half as well. So uh, it's going to be difficult for them. I do like Tottenham. Uh, they've had a really good march, all things considered. I think that's reflected in the Premier League monthly awards nominations for Conte, Kane and Kulusevski. They won three of their four Premier League games, scored 12 goals. Conte himself said things are starting to to work for him and work for the team, which is always quite encouraging. Um, they're right back in the top four race. Arsenal's game in hand is against Chelsea. They still have to play each other as well at Tottenham. So there's real reason and belief that Spurs can still claw Arsenal back in and, and take that top four spot. So um, they have found a degree of consistency in the Premier League. Five wins from seven. They've scored twice or more in six of those. They've won six of nine at home under Conte in the Premier League. The home record against teams below them, eight wins from ten. They've scored twice or more in eight of those as well. Uh, all key players are fit. Players are finding form. Momentum is with them as well. So I do like them. And they've been making really fast starts as well uh, of late. They kind of blew West Ham away and they blew Everton away early doors. They scored early goals against Liverpool. They scored early goals against Man City. Um, so, yeah, I think Spurs will be good enough to, to make the breakthrough and, and win this match. But I think Newcastle can at least keep things competitive as they have done we saw it away at Chelsea and Stafford Bridge they, they performed pretty well there so Spurs to win under the four and a half goals at 1.75 was of interest only three of Newcastle's 11 matches since Christmas have actually gone over two and a half let alone 
four and a half and seven of their 18 under Eddie Howe have actually gone under two and a half as well over two and a half I should say um, and actually none of their last 17 have featured five goals or more and in that time Newcastle have faced Liverpool, City, United and Chelsea so uh, Spurs to win but uh, a relatively low scoring one four goals or fewer. And if you do go for that, our fantastic multiples offer is running every day. Bet £10 on multiples or bet builders and receive a £2 free bet to use on multiples or bet builders. T's and C's apply. Real Madrid are heading for the La Liga title, but two of the best of the rest do battle at Camp Nou as Barcelona face Sevilla. Stinch for most of the season, we'd say that Sevilla have eclipsed Barca. That's all changed in the last few weeks. Yeah, I think we can all agree that Barcelona are playing well now, right? I think yep. that was confirmed by their demolition of uh, Real Madrid away 4-0. Although, obviously, there was no Benzema, um, which is pretty much Real Madrid uh, encapsulated this season. But in, with that, in fact, that's the sixth time in Barcelona's last 11 now where they've scored four or more goals. And that includes against the likes of Atletico, Napoli and Valencia. So, it's I think it's clear to see that that they are playing well because they are scoring tons and tons of goals. And it, it's no surprise in a way that the upturn has coincided with the January arrivals of Aubameyang, Torres, Dani Alves, Adama Traore. Also the reintegration of uh, Usman Dembele. I mean, you look at Aubameyang, nine goals in eight. Torres has got six goals and five assists in 13. Dani Alves is chipping in. He's got a goal and two assists. Adama Traore, he's sort of been relegated to the bench a little bit, but he's got four assists in six games. Dembele himself, he's got nine assists since mid-December. So it's clear to see that Xavi is is, is doing well with this, with this set of players. I mean, in those 11 games, there's been 41 goals, which is 3.73 goals per game. Yeah. The over 2.5 here is chalked up at 4 to 5, which which is where I'm looking at, really. I mean, Barcelona are 4 to 9. It's definitely worth touching on that. They were 4 to 9 against Levante and Hatafe in September, which just goes to show how much they've improved since that period, because there's obviously no way that Sevilla are the same level as Levante and Hatafe. So the fact that Barcelona have managed to. <clears throat> sort themselves out post Messi to go from four to nine against, you know, the lesser lights in Sevilla to uh, the lesser lights of La Liga, La Liga to now Sevilla. I think it just goes to show how good the, the job Xavi has done. But the reason I'm sort of touching on the, the overs is because even uh, even when Messi was at Barcelona in the last couple of seasons against Sevilla, so last season in the in the Copa del Rey, Barca were four to nine and over two and a half goals was four to seven. And then in the, the league game, Barcelona were eight to thirteen and over two and a half goals was eight to fifteen. So I don't really understand why overs is not similar similarly priced. And I think there's a lot of value here in that four to five. My mind, I kind of feel as well, the beauty of this bet is I think Barcelona could contribute by themselves. It doesn't rely on yeah. Sevilla chipping in because I was looking at both teams to score because both teams to score is just shy of evens. But now I thought sort of pragmatically that the sort of the reason I want to get involved is because Barcelona are playing well. So actually it makes sense to just to focus on, on the overs and not worry if Sevilla contribute or not. Because it is worth pointing out that Sevilla away from home are an unders team. 14 of their 15 games have gone under 2.5. They love might a one-all draw, don't they, Sevilla? <laughs> yeah, so you might kind of think, why is he, you know, why is he tipping up uh, overs if Sevilla are an unders team? I mean, it's all about price at the end of the day and the fact that they are against a stronger team. You know, you think Sevilla are probably the third third or fourth best team in La Liga. So often when they go into games, they are the favourites. So they're the team that's driving what happens in the game. But 
here obviously Barcelona are huge favourites and it's going to be them dictating so I don't think it's too much relevance into what Sevilla do against the, the other teams in La Liga I mean the one game that they that did go overs was against Real Madrid so that's kind of kind of case in point really and La Liga really is an unders league nowadays it's a kind of a kind of a shame in a way but that, that's football. I mean, the average goals this season is just 2.52. Look at last season, it's 2.51. So it's no surprise, really, that uh, that most games in the league are unders. But I just think in this particular spot, generally, Barcelona, when they're playing well, overs is, is, is a lot shorter. And I think there's a, a big disparity in, in the price compared to what it should be. Yeah, Barca have been a joy to watch in the last couple of months. And Mark, it wouldn't be a football-only better weekend if you didn't take us somewhere far-flung. We're off to Turkey. <laughs> yeah, um, this is one of the biggest outliers I could find this weekend across the continent in terms of data, but also league standings too. Um, it's Alanya Sport against Riza Sport in the Turkish Super League on Sunday. Uh, Alanya Sport are fourth in the table very much in the running for European qualification, which would be quite momentous, really. Uh, it's a team uh, based in a location which is probably more famous for, for summer holidays rather than football, but uh, they've had a fantastic season so far. Uh, they're actually uh, playing the team second from bottom in Riza Sport. There's 23 points between the two teams, and in data terms, we've got the fifth best team against the worst team in the division. Um, Alanya Sport training around 1.65 to win the game on the exchange, um, which still feels a little bit generous based on on the underlying process, uh, their recent form, six wins from 10. They only lost twice, and those both came against uh, the big guns, Fenerbahce and uh, Trabzonspor. Uh, Fener having a bit of a, a revival of late, and Trabzonspor have been towards the top end throughout the whole campaign. Um, and yeah, they've uh, they've won nine, drawn three, and lost twice against teams in the bottom eight so far this season. Uh, fans of uh, the lower leagues in, in, uh, in England, as well as the Premier League, will notice that Leroy Fur and Framara Jeju are part of their squad. Uh, but they're going great guns at the moment. And yeah, the majority of this bit is actually based around Riesersport and, and their dreadful away record. We talk about Everton being poor travellers. Well, Riesersport have picked up three points away from home all season. Uh, zero wins, three draws, 11 defeats. They've got a minus 25 goal difference in those 14 away days. They've conceded twice or more in 11 of those. They failed to score in eight of those. Uh, they're actually rock bottom in terms of expected points away. They're giving up over two expected goals per game on average as well, as well away from home. Uh, they changed managers recently for the second time so far this season, uh, but their two away games have both ended in defeat and conceding uh, three goals in each. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a difficult task for them, I think. Uh, Alanya Sport definitely chasing a European qualification. They should win this match, and if you add in over one and a half goals, you get 1.9, which is basically just ruling out the 1-0 home win. Uh, but yeah, data and league suggests that uh, Alanya Sport should be uh, a little bit shorter than they currently are. Lovely stuff. That's all we have time for on this edition of Football Only Better. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Loads of great content on our website, betting.betfair.com. We've got every single Premier League game previewed with its own dedicated preview. We've got the EFL as well. We've got all of the major European leagues. We've got a Serie A column, Bundesliga, Liga column, and indeed La Liga. So that's all on betting.betfair.com. From Mark, from Stinch, and from me, it's goodbye for now.